This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Welcome Network. Welcome to the AR-15 podcast. You can find podcast. more information at firearmsradio.tv. about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you. If you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years, there is something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. Welcome to another edition of the AR-15 podcast. On this episode, J.D. and I will be talking to Dwayne from Magpul. And I have to say, Dwayne, you guys are our unicorn. We have been trying to, to rope you guys in and, and have you on the show since the beginning. So we're really excited to have you on. Thanks for coming, Dwayne. Uh, absolutely. Excited to be here. All right. J.D., why don't you go ahead and pull you some brass and we'll get uh, moving on the show. You know, we want to say thank you to our Patreon supporters. You guys make this show possible uh, every week. 100% of your donations through Patreon and PayPal go right back into the podcast, Never in Our Pockets. Helps us bring content and production value to the podcast about your favorite black rifle. Thank you to Tom, Jason, Stephen, Kevin, and everyone else giving over at Patreon. You can give to uh, as little as 3 bucks a month or as high up as Tom, who is... I guess I could, I could say he's like our sugar uncle or something like that, but he's kind of an odd one, but at $30 a month. Um, thank you for your support. AR-15podcast.com. That's AR-15podcast.com. You can check out the Patreon and PayPal links right there. All right. Well, J.D., don't we have a new sponsor? Uh, we do. Extant Labs has come on to join the show, and uh, they sent, out, sent Reed and I a box of their lubrication out. Uh, to check out on our guns. And so I took uh, the kids out this past weekend and uh, we went shooting out in the desert and uh, tried it about 500 rounds on uh, my Novesky Infidel and everything went great. And the, the real test was my son's uh, MMP 22. Um, that thing is a dirt hog. Like you could, sh- you could clean it, shoot one round through it. And all of a sudden it's got caked on dirt. Um, I don't think we've cleaned it since Obama has been uh, in the white house. And so it's become a single shot star most of the time after a couple rounds. Uh, we lubed it all up and uh, it ran the whole length of the trip we were out there. I was kind of uh, impressed with it. So uh, we are going to actually talk to the guys from uh, Extent Labs and have them on and uh, see the madness behind the uh, lubrication and the chemicals that they sell. And um, got off the phone with them yesterday for about 15 minutes. Great group of guys we're gonna have them on loose rounds i think you're really gonna appreciate them um, their twisted uh, sense of humor uh just like you appreciate reading ours so uh, check them out you can go to their website it is www.extentlabs.com that's e-x-t-a-n-t labs.com and don't forget to sign up for our new rifle giveaway for the months of january and february teaming up with arrow precision once again And we have got a sick rifle for you guys to give away. One lucky listener is going to take it home. The Cerakote job done by Nevada Cerakote. You can check out all the details of specs on the rifle by going to ar-15podcast.com. That's ar-15podcast.com. Click on the contest link and you will find all the details on our new rifle giveaway with Arrow Precision. We are excited for this one. It is a sweet looking rifle. Once again, sign up to Today at ar-15podcast.com. All right. Well, Dwayne, we usually uh, move into a, a sit rep and uh, have uh, our guests talk to us about what they've been doing in the firearms world this last week. So tell us, what have you been up to? Ah, shock rep, basically. So uh, it's that time of year, and we are finishing up all the materials that uh, we'll be sharing with the world here in a few weeks. 
it's always uh, sliding in at the last minute. It seems no matter how early we uh, we tend to start, but uh, we're, uh, we're we're in good shape. Uh, there will be some pretty neat stuff to talk about here in a few weeks that we will uh, share with the world. But it does make for a very busy holiday season every year. Awesome. Well, I guess that's uh, good news, bad news, right? Right, right. You know, it's that's a good problem to have. Well, JD, what have you been up to? Uh, we just went out and shot. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to take uh, the Benelli out yet. We uh, drove out yesterday to have it done, but uh, my route out into the desert was shut down because mm-hmm. they were blasting. Um, so I guess yeah, dynamite. Like dynamite blasting? Yeah, yeah, they're like uh, carving a new uh, – the, the lane we take, 160 out to uh, – heading out to Pahrump to go shoot out in the desert where it's wide open. Um, it's a two-lane road, and so they're trying to make it a four-lane road. And uh, that requires a lot of dynamite. So we drove, I got loaded up, drove out, saw the reader board sign that said at 1245, they're going to shut it down for two hours. And it was 1240. So uh, no luck this time. But hopefully by, hopefully this weekend, although it's a little packed this weekend, the show's playing back. We're playing it back for you guys in January, but uh, this is being recorded right before Christmas. So as you can imagine, doing stuff with guns is kind of lower on the list unless it's shooting Rudolph or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't do that <laughs> well you know what i haven't been able to do much of anything we we're doing these shows back to back to back and i think jd's uh, use of the uh, uh u.s mail donkey service is causing my sig to come here very slowly so i'm just waiting <laughs> eagerly for it to arrive but uh as soon as that gets here i guess i'll be out to the range myself it's the same. It was the same donkey that uh, helped Mary and Joseph get to Bethlehem back in the day. So I mean, it's old. It's uh, it's seen some miles on it, so it'll take a while. All right. Well, I I won't hold my breath then. All right. <laughs> well, before we move on to the uh, main topic and uh, get a chance to talk with Magpul, why don't you uh, talk to the guys about uh, Ammo dot com? Our friends uh, over at Ammo.com offering you a deal this holiday season. Uh, when you use our special link, Ammo.com slash AR15 podcast, you can save $20 on your next order of $200 or more in ammo. So you get your ammo, you save money on it, and you support the podcast all in one shot. So check them out today, uh, Ammo.com slash AR15 podcast. All right. Dwayne. Hi. You you are, you know, as I said at the, at, at the opening, the, the the unicorn magpul i mean i would say since the very beginning of my i guess civilian interest in in ars have been a part of the the tapestry of what is out there in the ar world so i think everybody knows your name i would say everybody has at least one of your products so it's exciting to get a chance to talk to you guys and what i'd like to start out with is where did Magpul come from? I mean, we understand that first product, the the Magpul, but tell me how the whole origin of Magpul comes together. So, uh, absolutely, this is uh, our, like I said uh, earlier, our twentieth anniversary year. So we've been kind of uh, documenting some of this a little more carefully than we have in the past. But uh, uh, the Magpul started with a young Richard Fitzpatrick uh, working in Colorado in the IT world, doing customer service and support. Uh, and decided that he didn't want to do that for the rest of his life. Uh, And so he cashed in his 401k uh, based on a product idea he had for the original Magpul. He had carved a balsa wood copy of it. So it's basically napkin drawings and a carved balsa wood uh, prototype that he took to a mold maker, 
The mold was made, spent everything he had on the mold, couldn't even afford to do changes if it didn't come out perfectly, shot the thing in the mold, and the first ones were perfect. So it all worked out, started selling the Magpul as that one product out of his basement in Longmont, Colorado. And over the years, uh, trying to, you know, the, the one-man band, going to SHOT Show, anywhere that he could try and, and, and peddle the wares and show people what it was about, uh, as well as making up those little marketing books that had all the other ideas. He knew right from the start that Magpul wasn't going to be one product, but that that one name was uh, was what he chose to represent. It. He didn't want it to be associated with a person or a personality. He didn't want it to be the Fitzpatrick pool or the Fitz pool, as some of his friends had recommended at the time. Um, and uh, so Magpul was uh, the name of the product was the name of the company. Uh, and that's how things got rolling. Like I said, one man band going around. An interesting side note is he was looking for, there were some other things that he had tried previously and he was, uh, he was playing in a, always an entrepreneurial mindset. So, you know, that stuff's oh, always yeah. churning. And, um, the, one of the things that the, at the time he was getting ready to do the investment in the Magpul, he was uh, very passionate about firearms, but it was one of those things where there is, there's some regulatory stuff and it's, it's, there's all kind of craziness and it was, there's an easier path laid out over here that might be more, uh, uh, less regulatory concern. And so you, we came about that close to having the Fitz fork instead of the Magpul, uh, because he had looked at plastic camping silverware as another business opportunity. Fortunately <laughs> for us, um, here at the company now, um, and potentially the rest of the world, he uh, chose to make the Magpul. But, uh, so that's, that's where it started. Uh, after a few years of doing this, sales got to be uh, enough that it was difficult to fulfill out of the basement, packing boxes after work. Uh, so we decided it was time to make a make this thing a business. They got an unheated uh, pole building in uh, Erie, Colorado, uh, where the molding machines were running right beside the office spaces. And that's where uh, Magpul really became an entity. Uh, Doug Smith was hired as employee number one to run the business systems. He's still there today. He's the president. Um, and uh, they started uh, uh, looking at other things. The C93 uh, up and right before that time frame had come along uh, and they were having some looking at some redesign stuff on that. And then Mike Mayberry comes along about that same time uh, as well as some engineering support. And before you know it, we're off to the races with uh, the follower of the Ranger plate uh, and so on and so forth, CTR, PRS, uh, UBR, and uh, uh, eventually the PMAG in the 2006-2007 timeframe. So in terms of that growth, um, was the entire run-up to, I guess, you guys really arriving, uh, just a mad dash to the top, hold on for the you know dear life, it's going so fast? Uh, you know, I wasn't there in those earliest days, but even if you look at the time frame from, um, you know, 2011, 2012, uh, when I showed up on the scene, uh, to now, uh, it's, it's, it's been a, a ride the whole way. And certainly in those early days as well, uh, rapid, rapid growth. And there are problems with that, right? Trying to keep up with that, uh, business, uh, uh, the whole management of growth is difficult uh, when it happens uh, that rapidly, but uh, it, it all worked out. We weren't holding on to the tail of the aircraft for too long. Got got ahead of some things, uh, and we're in a good spot right now. So, in terms of kind of expanding the the product line, um, was the Magpul a concept that arrived because of a need that he had seen? 
Absolutely. So Richard was a Force Reconnaissance Marine, uh, or actually a Reconnaissance Marine, uh, Alpha Company 3rd Recon, uh, prior to uh, getting out. So and back in those days, and, and I was uh, a Marine in the 98, 99 time frame as well on the infantry side. Uh, and you, you'd run in LBEs, you're running in the old pouches on H harnesses to some extent. We had just switched to the LBEs when I got in. But in any case, you're sticking magazines very deep into a magazine pouch and you're trying to pull them out. So everybody was taking you know, rigor tape and paracord or gutted paracord and making these loops on the bottom of the magazine. So it was a solution um, that solved getting the, the, the magazine out of the pouches of the day. Uh, that was inefficient and didn't hold up very well. So you're constantly redoing them. And it was an inelegant kind of way of doing things. And Richard saw that as an opportunity to kind of fix that. And so that's where the whole thing is. The Magpul is, you know, not defined by that original product or that original idea or even any of the products we've done since then. Mag, Magpul has been a mindset was the, the biggest thing to kind of take on board for me um, in coming into this organization. One of the things that was the most exciting for me to be a part of it, because it was a mindset of problem solving and finding things. And you know, we do the you know the marketing uh, aspect of the you know some folks well marketing Magpul's a marketing company well, Mag, we're a marketing company in the sense that all we do in marketing is really well, there's some humor involved uh, we just educate people about why we did something right because there's value the value proposition is what Magpul is about we're right. solving problems and finding solutions and doing it in a in an elegant way if we can that's simple uh, doesn't need to be overly complex you know the the one of the foundational principles um, easy is hard hard is easy. Are uh, you know the, the the more complex solutions to a problem are easier to arrive at, but to arrive at a solution that is simple and intuitive and easy to understand and requires less parts can sometimes take a lot longer than a more complex uh, solution to that problem. So the the evolution of the product line was driven by Magpul's recognition of deficiencies in the market. Um, yeah, that's really what we do on a on a regular basis is look where there's opportunities to improve. And, it, and we don't look at, uh, well, you know, we should make a, an empty frats. It's like, where is there where is there a consumer need? And because we're, we're gun guys, right? As right. Certainly in the in the product side. But the uh, it's a, where where do we find something that we wish were different? And is there an opportunity there to create that value proposition in a product that allows us to, to fit that perfect usage scenario? better than what's available on the market right now. And if, and we do the pros and cons of that we do, uh, we do the actual, you know, math, uh, which is uh, the unfortunate side of uh, uh, the, the less fun side, but the math is important. Uh, and then we come up with, uh, if that makes sense, then we, we go down that road and charge full forward and bring a product to market. So in, in terms of the, the growth of the company, I know that you, we've seen the Magpul name in, in different lights, uh, I guess you would say that uh, they're just different aspects of the company. Um, for instance, the uh, the Masada was, I guess, an attempt to design and bring to market a, a rifle. Um, then there's uh, you had some training um, components that were carrying the Magpul name. Um, is this something that kind of evolved naturally, or was it? I mean, because right now you you aren't in those two things. Is that correct? Uh, we have Magpul Core right now, so we do have a training side. Okay. Uh, so we continue to do that. There's more of a, an opportunity. We have uh, the precision rifle side is still uh, the robust. Uh, we do some Cabela's experiences and some things like that. 
the the carbine and pistol side makes more sense for us to do uh, more digestible and more attainable uh, video and media stuff. Uh-huh. They're on a small list. The days the days of the long format video are, are pretty much over. So that, that 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 format doesn't work. It's stuff like this where it's a digestible podcast or you know a two minute video or stuff like that. That's where we see the the reality and the the whole the the focus the impetus behind the entire idea of getting into training was to turn. Um, Hobbyists into enthusiasts was is, is the idea, and it was Richard basically looking at the, uh, the the firearms ownership landscape and saying, you know, it's and I don't want to use like golf analogy, but it's probably one of the best ones that that works because it's golf doesn't it's a waste of a perfectly good shooting range, right? But the uh, <laughs> The, the the golf analogy is a great one. So if somebody goes out and they golf once a year or twice a year, they have a set of clubs that sits in the attic otherwise or in the garage and they don't say anything about it. But if somebody becomes an enthusiast and they get motivated, they want to become really good at golf. And so then they go and they start taking lessons. They go to the pro. Um, and, and now that becomes an intrinsic part of their life and the skill and the application. And that was the, in the firearm side, that was, uh, uh, Richard saw that as one kind of a civic duty as the, as because against the foundational element of the Second Amendment is the is is is, is a capable citizenry, uh, as well as it's good for the industry as a whole if people understand more about their firearms and they want to use their firearms more and they understand that they're they're that they are capable of more than they may think is possible and that was why the format of uh, the Magpul Dynamics videos was potentially more important than anything else because it showed a class environment where people were make, real people were making mistakes. And going their way from you know, where they were starting the course into where they were finishing the course and, and showing that those capabilities were developed and it was attainable for everyone basically to go out there and learn how to do this and to become an enthusiast. And when you do that, now you're more in you're, you become a part of the gun culture rather than a firearm owner. Right. Uh, and that was really the, the impetus behind that. Um, the, the entire training uh, program. And so we, we continue to that to this day really but the, the information is, is out there. The training industry right now, there's all kinds of places to get solid training. So that's, you know, it's, it, we don't need to wade into that. Our mission in, from the training side and from the core side, as much as anything, is just to make sure that we're continuing to, to, to convey those opportunities and to make people understand that there is an attainable uh, degree to any of this aspiration that they have. They can get out and go do this. And that's, what we, that's really the whole, the whole point in the training side. Well, you know, and I bring this up because there have always been, um, I guess, excited discussions about um, your design of the Masada. And mm-hmm. and I think functionally some disappointment that, that Magpul uh, was not behind the entire uh, process. Because yeah. I think you, you have a very loyal uh, following, a very loyal consumer base. Is that something that is right now? a complete write-off you're you're not a firearms manufacturer uh i mean so, so there's certain uh there's there's certainly regulatory changes in the nature of the business that have to occur in order to, to go down that road right to become a no kidding firearms manufacturer versus where we're at in the accessory side of things generally uh is that something that's ruled out nothing is off the table ever right. for us at the time we just didn't have the capabilities uh, to bring that to market ourselves at the time of the design of the Masada or anything like the, you know, the F- FMG slash FPG, uh, things like that. But we still, I mean, to this day, we take a look at things like that as design exercises and, you know, what could be or where would we go if we could fix this? And, and, and it just helps us to stop to, if you don't 
if you're not restricted by looking at one category of things, the same thing, with the Ronin thing, some of the other design exercise things that we do, you don't want to be restricted to, to one category. And the, you know, the whole hammer and nail thing, if the, if the only solution you have is the hammer, everything looks like, a, you know, that kind of deal. Yeah. So we don't want to fall into that. And so we, we, we allow ourselves to play a little bit and we have, and maybe if you, you know, if you come up with a different uh, system of uh, recoil energy management and within a, a buffer system, then, you, which we have some of those laying around that are just basically pencil drawings and some solid work stuff. What what does that do to the back, your thoughts about the back end of the rifle? And, and so those they've been useful exercises. But yeah, the Masada is one of those things that um, certainly I think the original design is original incarnation. There's a lot of things we would like to do with that if it were to be modernized. Um, to because things have changed obviously since since that time frame and we're a decade. Uh, and change really from the time that we really originally took a look at the, at that problem. So there would be different solutions in place to how that would be tackled. But it's not something that we've, uh, you know, that that space is not something that's written off from us. Certainly now we have a far different uh, set of capabilities than uh, right. than a decade ago. So, you know. so, you know, one of the things that I think always comes up when we talk about Magpul is your use of polymer materials in your products. And I mean, I think that in, I mean, in my experience personally, I've never seen a Magpul product fail because of its material design. Well, I've never seen them fail, period, but the material is something that I've never seen fail. And I've seen other products fail because they use a material that uh, may not be as robust for the, the, whatever they're using it for. So is that, material development something that was hard won or did you guys have that eureka moment where wow this is it this is where we're going to go and you went from there sorry <clears throat> I choked on some coffee there <clears throat> but no um so the polymer that's a long uh, long deal there in the early days if you look at some of the uh, earlier polymers way back in the 2003 <clears throat> 2002 time frame and what we got to when we started the uh, you know CTR program, which eventually led to the PMAG <clears throat> as a, a material development saying, hey, we could probably make a magazine out of this stuff because it had properties that made sense and nothing prior to that did. But since that time, we test probably <clears throat> conservatively on the order of one to two thousand different compositions of material by tweaking little things here or there um, every year. So it's uh, we're constantly playing with things. And if you look at our line, there are multiple different compositions of materials. And a lot of those, some of them, there, there are some that are they're still very much engineered resins because it's a far less critical application. But most of them, we have our own little formulas, which are kind of like the secret to Coke. We don't have anything patented because then we would have to publish it. Right. right. And then somebody gather that and, and even IP being the way it is, it expires and, and whatever. So it's, it's kind of like this, the, the formula for Coke hidden in escrow kind of deal that uh, we've got this continuity of business plan to make sure that it, nothing happens, but nobody has the keys to the kingdom entirely because the, the compounder sends bags and prills that are just marked Magpul and it goes to the molder who we <laughs> designed and, and uh, the, our engineers are there for the process. And, and so it's, it's a, uh, <clears throat> We, we tend to compartmentalize that. There are a lot of different compounds and, and formulations that uh, we have as, you know, we consider trade secrets more so than IP. But uh, we do a ridiculous amount of testing uh, on that sort of thing. It starts with, you know, some very basic testing of material properties all the way up to 
molding actual products out of it and putting them through the, the test processes that we have with, you know, air dropping fixtures and salt spray and thermotrons and the, the whole deal. Um, it, it's, uh, it's really long as test lab basically of, uh, apparatus that, uh, apparatus or whatever you want to say there that, uh, that throws salt and dust and, you know, blast cabinets and drop fixtures. It's, it's neat, but it's, it's how we end up with, uh, with, with what we, feel very strongly about being the best solution to, to do things. And I don't want to say that our products, it's entirely possible for anything that anybody makes to fail. And will a PMAG crack? Absolutely. A PMAG can crack. Um, but it happens at a point that is, you know, beyond what, uh, uh, what you certainly can expect from many other material, uh, options. So you bend when you're metal, even if you're metal feed lip a polymer body, you end up bending or dis, uh, dislocating the, the attachment method, the mechanical attachment method. But um, the, the polymer, our, our goal with the, the PMAG especially is that at post, uh, what's post damage look like? When you do exceed material specifications or design specifications for that, uh, that product, what happens? Uh, so if you crack a PMAG, and it's something we do all the time, uh, and it's one of the, the test criteria for in-process testing, if I, if I will deliberately crack a feedlet, okay, <clears throat> and it generally cracks because it's designed to crack this way right down the back edge and, and goes into the spiral. You can still load the mag, and if if, as long as you can hold the rounds inside it and get it into the gun, it will feed perfectly because the feed geometry of the lips goes back exactly to where it was and is held into that position by the, 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 the magwell. Even if the magazine is cracked to the point where it will spew rounds and you have to hold it to get the rounds in, if you can get it inside the magwell, it will feed. And that's the goal is if you have a cracked magazine, um, it will still 100% feed just as reliably or almost 98, 99% nearly so as, as one that's brand new out of the wrapper. If you dent, deform, or otherwise damage the feed geometry, as happens with metal, as happens with softer polymers that are less likely to have you know, any kind of uh, permanent uh, disfiguration, they don't have the, the rigidity or the resiliency that we like to, to, to return to that geometry. And then your geometry changes, and now your reliability goes in the tank. Right. And that's what we don't want. I want you to say, okay, I've got a survey criteria that this magazine has a tiny little crack up here, so I'm going to ta- take this out of service at some point, whereas a USGI magazine or anything else that, that has allowed a deformation of that lip, now you've got that magazine that, that has a stoppage every time you fill it up and put it in the gun, but you have no idea, and it's like, and if you don't mark them and keep track of your magazines, you have no idea, but I just went off on a really crazy rabbit hole, but uh, I'm back. No, no, no. That's a great rabbit hole. An absolutely <laughs> awesome one. I mean, this is this is what we live for. So, Dwayne, from the beginning to today, can you kind of walk me through the, the parallel lives of, of Magpul between a civilian world and a military world? Yeah. Uh, so we're obviously very strong supporters of the Second Amendment and the absolute you know, true intention thereof. So we, we don't ever want to be uh, making something that is specifically for military applications and not for sale to the civilian market. That's not a situation that we ever want to be in. Uh, and you can, we've changed. If you take a look uh, closely at some of the panels on our shot show booth, there's some indications on some of the engravings on the side of the rifles. It's kind of a neat little segue into that. But the uh, um, bottom line is we consider them one and the same, you know, the whole concept of the, the armed citizenry. But, we want everything that we make uh, with very few exceptions. And when there's a specific exception, maybe I, I, I think of one right now off the top of my head, but uh, 
when we go in, it's like that NATO or NATO D14 or uh, TOP 32045 uh, test standards. So the, the understanding is we want this to perform to military standards and to those test requirements. So we, we, everything we design, we look at within that light. Um, so the, the military standards and requirements, uh, to some extent, drives our uh, performance criteria in everything we do. But we never want to be entirely focused on, on on just providing that solution to the military, because in many cases, the military solution, like the the the, uh, the PMAC 556, the, the window mag is now you know widely proliferated and, and the magazine in the Marine Corps, the magazine of the Air Force, the magazine of U.S. SOCOM, widely uh, in the Army and approved for use there. Coast Guard, 100 percent across the board. And being adopted by, by foreign militaries now as well, that magazine solves many of the problems that were in the in the, the CQB enhancement program back in, uh, what was it, 2008-2010 timeframe, where they were looking for a specific set of, of features and visible indication around remaining and some other things were on there. Um, so, yes, that was designed to some extent, uh, tweaked to a military requirement, but it's something that also pays dividends for the, 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 the citizen because the the problem is the same, right? It's a 100% reliable magazine or 28,500 rounds between magazine related stoppages in the last Picatinny test, which is, you can do better. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty ludicrous. In any case, 28,500 rounds between magazine related stoppages and plus you get the visible indication around from me. It's easier to clean all those things. Those problems are the same things that I have in my daily life now that I'm out of the military uh, as the military faces, right? So, um, it's, we see it as a as a cooperative effort, certainly not a bifurcated one. Are the sales channels different? Absolutely, by necessity they are. But the product channel, uh, it's the same people, right? There's certainly not a product that we make purely for the civilian market and purely for the military market, although some some products are probably more or less likely to be adopted in the military application. We still design uh, the same performance criteria. So in, in terms of how your products have evolved over time, and correct me if I'm wrong, because, you know, I often am. The, um, the, uh, Inbus Pro, was that kind of your, your first go round at a widely, uh, distributed, um, metal product? Uh, apart from, so like the bad lever and some, some, uh, sling attachment, ASAP plates, things like that. So we've had it from the start. That was the first, certainly, that we've done, that we did as a, as a MIM program. <clears throat> And, uh, and MIM can be a dirty word in the firearms community, and it shouldn't be in certain applications. Now, there's always there's challenges when you have a part that's not designed for MIM manufacturing, right? So 1911 is probably one of the most uh, widespread, like, ah, you got MIM parts in your 1911. Now, those parts were designed to be MIM, right? So right. the corners and edges and things like that are not designed to be MIM products. Can you make passable MIM products at this point with a state well, MIM tech? Hold yeah. on a second, Dwayne. I, I, do, I don't want to interrupt your flow, but... You know, I understand what MIM is because I've been to SHOT and, and, you know, I've seen some of that. But can you describe what that is for some of the listeners that may not know what it is? Absolutely. The metal injection molding is what MIM stands for. And it's it's a, similar to a casting process where there's a post-op coining and some other things like that. So it's great. It's used all over the firearms industry. And if, like I said, the parts are designed for that methodology. Earlier products, there was difficulties and voids and things like that that you certainly didn't want. Um, but when you, and somebody, you know, throws, oh, you, this cast or whatever in the, in general, but I mean, there's a lot of parts on the AR-15 in the TDP that are cast, yeah. right? So you can't, you can't have that, that problem either. Um, but, uh, as long as a part is designed for specific manufacturing technology with its the limitations of that manufacturing technology in mind, 
it can perform exceptionally. And that's the same deal with MIM. And the, and the MBUS Pros were designed to be MIM from day one. So there's a lot of things that are optimized specifically for MIM manufacturing that um, is, is what went into that. And so that, that was, uh, it's a fairly complex program. But uh, because they are designed specifically for the MIM process that we use, they're uh, crazy robust, and we got them super tiny. So in terms of the non-polymer products after that, um, would, would it be your, your Model 700 aluminum chassis that's kind of like the next big non-polymer product? Yeah, I mean, uh, so the Hunter program, even if you take a look at that, um, there's a there's a full aluminum bedding block in that. I just uh, installed a 700 Action in one of yours. Excellent, excellent. That's a fantastic product. I mean, I use it on my, I have seventeen, eighteen hundred dollar barreled actions that I throw in Hunter stocks because it works phenomenally. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in any case, uh, now I'm off on a, on a tangent. But the uh, so no, we we never look at something and say we're only going to do it if we can injection mold that thing. So we look at things. Uh, from a variety of manufacturing technologies and wherever it makes sense to do certain things. So we have a lot of things. We have light mounts and, and there's all kind of machine components, even in the uh, the polymer products as far as stocks and things like that. Right. So there's it's we look at it from a holistic pers- perspective. And once again, it's the hammer and the nail thing. If all we can do is injection mold stuff, then all we can do is injection mold, make them inject. No, we don't look at it from that perspective. But there are areas where, like, is Magpul going to make a, uh, uh, you know, a free, free float aluminum rail? Doesn't make, We have a lot of good friends that do that. They do a fantastic and very credible job at it. Uh, what will we bring to that by the same manufacturing methodology? So probably not a whole lot. So maybe maybe that's something that we steer clear of. But if there's an area where something can be machined or cast or mimmed or whatever that is not an injection molded product, but it makes sense for us, we do that. You know, the light mounts, sling, sling mounts, and a lot of other things are all over the place. Uh, and the QDM uh, as well. And all those things. So, so we don't pigeonhole it by, ah, that's not, we don't do that. There's nothing that we say we don't do. is kind of obvious by some of our diversions in the area of <laughs> Uh, it's like stay in your lane well i like our lane to be wide right (laughs) don't want to get bored around here well absolutely so when you when you go down a road like that are you are you looking at the i guess the expansion of your manufacturing capabilities to incorporate you know different um i guess uh capabilities than you may have had last year because you weren't carrying that product i mean uh, I'm, I'm guessing if you've got an aluminum, you're using multi-axis um, uh, milling machines, right? So if you're injection molding last year, but this year you're doing some uh, milling, then you have to expand. Is that correct? Or do you we guys did. do? We have a massive and constantly expanding uh, manufacturing and base. We use, uh, we use a lot of partners uh, in some of that. We are distributed. Uh, we have facilities that we use that are distributed pretty widely for a lot of things uh and it's it's an efficient way to do that or people in order to 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 develop some of the expertise that some of these places these partners that we use have would be it would take too long it's full up time long um so we we want it now uh we're an impatient uh kind of company so we, we move through those processes uh relatively quickly in order to expand those varieties of capabilities like powdered metal is another thing that we've looked at and there's certain applications where that makes perfect sense there's other things we would not use powdered metal for but right. same thing with 
some casting partners and men partners and machining partners and and um, everything from Swiss machines to crazy multi-axis stuff that whatever makes sense to do what we need to do that's where we're at and that's what we're doing but yes our uh, it it gets to be uh, uh, several full-time jobs of just managing all of that so in terms of I guess historically has partnering with other companies to expand your manufacturing base without having to bring it in-house and grow that uh, capability. Has that kind of been the, the standard operating procedure? Uh, whenever it makes sense to do so, that's really, uh, it's, and I, it's a, it's a business case. I don't want to drop anchor on the, the whole like spider network of how we get stuff done or whatever makes sense, what's in and what's out. But it's uh bottom line is everything does happen within the United States. I can, that is a, that a firearm product in any way, shape or form. I can 100% say that, um, uh, that, uh, it's all here. Um, but, uh, as to going into the breakdowns and how we figure out what makes sense, I mean, that's a business management thing. Sure. That's really um, probably nobody wants to hear going to. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we have companies come on and we talk about these things. And, you know, there are some that that strive to bring it in-house because I think that uh, in the areas they are, they've been burned in the, in the last, you know, 10 years. There have been opportunities for them to get, you know, really sideswiped because of changes in the industry. You know, whether it's availability of materials or availability of components and, you know, yeah. when you have supply chain, uh, supply chain log jams, you know, it can't be a good thing when you're stuck because you're waiting for someone else to get their stuff done. Absolutely. And, and we, we are, if you can take a look at most of our availability, uh, uh, for products, we're very, very good at managing uh, that sort of thing. We got, uh, 2013 was a time that we never wanted to, you know, see repeated as far as the difficulty of, uh, availability. Um, and certainly when you look at 2016, the same kind of thing did not occur. Um, and we've, we've got a pretty good handle on that sort of thing. And our people, I mean, it's, it's, when I say we use partners, we have the, the engineering staff internal that supports those efforts is, is, is significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's our people with QAQC. It's our people doing this. We have a very diverse base with people that we can bring on or not bring on and whatever makes sense to have uh, internally do. But uh, it's, um, it's a complex machine that we yeah. keep running very, very well in order to not end up in those situations. And the guys who do it are phenomenal at it. And I, my hat is off to them every single day. So do you think that makes you, I don't know, more nimble? That's the, that's the idea is, uh, is the, that we can respond quickly. Uh, We don't want to like, wow, I can't, I wish we could do that. But, uh, you know, we, if that's a powdered metal part and we don't have powdered metal machines or die makers or anything like that. And no, it's, there's, there's, that's easier to do. And that's, you know, if you take a look at it across the industry, it's like, that's, that's a model that makes sense. And it's just how good you are at at managing that. It's like, are there machines that like BCM or even Colt to, to some extent for, for a lot of those components, they're, they're not made in the building, right? It's right. Uh, But it's managing those people that do and making sure that your QC procedures and QAQC is making sure that you are getting exactly what you intend to put into that program. It's like, do we, you know, it's, it's, and it's sometimes it's massive, massive, massive numbers of, or, or quantities of things. Uh, and you still need to be there. And, you know, they talk about, we're very good at designing procedures, and uh, that produce extremely, extremely low fallout rates, 
because the problem is, you know, 80% inspection or 100% inspection is 80% effective. It's the old, you know, QAQC thing. And that is, that's absolutely there. So no matter if you're making some bad stuff, some stuff's going to get out, right? So right. no matter if you respect all of it, you're still going to miss some stuff. So it's easier to not to have that fallout rate to begin with. And that's what we're very, very good at. So in terms of, you talked about like the iterations of, of the polymer. You're always uh-huh. testing. Do you, for example, if, you came up with, oh, well, we need to change to this formulation of polymer because we've discovered this property that we want. Do you do that? I mean, do you all of a sudden say, okay, well, you know, stop using the old batch and this run of PMAG, start using the new batch and then go forward? Or is there more to it, you know, more to design nuances or updating uh, some of the things like um, you just came out with a number of uh, updated items like the, the PRS was updated over its first gen, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're, you're what third gen on the PMAGs. Yep. So is that something that happens quickly on a short term basis because you can be nimble or is there like a deeper internal arc where someone says however many months or years it takes, we're going to update this and then, when you're at the end, it gets implemented. So a lot of things go through constant process or product improvement. And the PMAG is certainly one of those categories. So we're, we're always looking for what's the next step in the PMAG. And we've got some neat stuff um, uh, that we're always working on in those uh, those realms. Material stuff, like I said, we're always looking for new materials. We're always testing new materials and ways to improve the materials that we're using. The, uh, the MCT program was exactly one of those things. So um, there's there's problems in in uh, generally tan polymers that can be problematic um, that I won't get into, but it has to do with colorants and reinforcements and, and what formulations you use and UV stability and things like that. But so we, we how do we how do we solve that problem? Uh, so the sand was a transitional step. We had found this material combination that makes perfect sense, but you know we had to use different uh, colorant technologies, and so we found an appropriate colorant technology that allows us to end up with the, the a, a magazine that's potentially even stronger than any of the black stuff, but meets the the not black color scheme, uh, coyote to light coyote, whatever four ninety eight to uh, that that uh, that uh, army requirement is for the uh, the non black program, but. Uh, so that was one of those programs, and that's that. That is a, a material that's slightly different between the black and the MCT uh, uh, products, uh, but that was you know the whole. It ends up having very similar similar characteristics. Now, when you take a look at the uh, the Gen M two to or Mo magazine, currently the Mo magazine, which was the MREV originally, and the Gen M three, that was uh, a multifaceted approach. So when we look at generational change there. One was compatibility uh, to the, you know, the forced IAR M27 program with that, that HK long mag weld taken from the SAA program for the blank firing adapter magazine, which you know, is problematic and, and for whatever we had to jump through to make it work. But it's all good. Behind, we're over that bridge, Gen M3, M27 IAR, Marine Corps, got it. Uh, in any case, this, so there's some, some physical manifestation or uh, things that we wanted to change. But also we'd learned some things about mold flow and, and reinforcement orientation and and just design of the magazine in general that we wanted to tweak as well as some enhancements to you know, ergonomics and handling characteristics to the texture we learn and, and grip stuff and how we wanted to design a floor plate. So there was a multi multifaceted generational change, but the material itself was backwards compatible into the MREV or, or Gen M2 magazine. So we started from, from the introduction of the Gen M3, we started using that material in the M2 product. Now there are some things that, uh, so like the Glock magazines, 
uh, we developed that uh, the, the the a different polymer to use in the Glock magazines because the the uh, the the flexing or rigidity was was much more significant of a concern because the, an all polymer magazine wants to to swell right because of the two to one transition in a pistol magazine. Um, <clears throat> That material has actually driven and been used in different components and different products along the way that that is an ideal material for. And then there's some some bushing materials that we've developed for the drum program, and those things have found other things. So it's it's uh, the the material science is always something that's ongoing. Um, we try not to uh, uh, switch stuff without some kind of identifiable. Hey, this is where we're what we're going to do. Uh, unless it's a non-critical application without saying, hey, this is a generational change or things like that, or at least identify that there's a material change just so that the consumer understands because we like that, that education side of it. But it is something that we're always, always looking at. There's always a better way to do something. There's always, you know, and, and, and we we challenge ourselves to find those opportunities to make what we make for everyone better. So kind of shifting gears a little bit, you know, I think over time we've we've seen your involvement with uh, the AK uh, accessories. We've seen your involvement with um, was the 1022. You've got the the bolt gun, shotguns. Uh, you, you've got some other elements that you brought in, like uh, the magazine for the the Glock. Is there a place where you won't go, or are all options on the table? Uh, if it makes, uh, if there's a a financial argument to, uh, to that makes sense. If there is a solutions argument that makes sense, and we can even remotely justify it on the financial side, sometimes that it, it's not the biggest you know cash cow in the world, but it's something that we want to do. Um, there's there's some products that are that are like that. Uh, <clears throat> there's a there's a variety of processes that we go through, but it's there are some things that just we're we if we're not going to bring anything or we don't feel that we would bring enough to it to justify going down those roads so and there's not uh i wouldn't say that there's if you in the broad entire spectrum of the world if we can remotely say that we're going to find a solution that we have a, a distribution channel that makes sense for it or we can develop one and we feel strongly about the solution that we can provide it's on the table um it's it's entirely possible there, but there's a lot of things that don't make sense for us right. to you know, as a business. Bottom line, we have to keep the lights on. We have to make payroll, right? So, so I mean, you talk about that process in, in a way that makes me wonder: Do you see the problem from one perspective, and in, in, in the sense that do you, do you look at things and say, well, you know, we, we want our warfighter to have this capability, or we want to solve this problem that we've seen again and again and again. Or is it broader? Well, you know, the guys that are in three-gun competitions have this problem. You know, let's look at that. Or even just the bench rest shooters. Is it is it a broad view of where those problems might exist? Or are you trying to solve problems, you know, the, the military problems? Because that's kind of – it sounds like you've got a lot of depth in terms of, you know, veterans and where you want to be with there. I mean, tell me, is, is it – Across the board, or is it more narrow in scope? It's all over the place, uh, and, and I don't mean that in, a, in any kind of uh, disparaging way that we're all over the place. But it's uh, we look at things, we try to look at things holistically, and in, in, in many cases, there's also there's usage case scenarios. Um, so some things are like the suppressor cover is there was designed specifically at the request of uh, an activity that 
wanted to solve that problem of, uh, you know, you go to transition and all of a sudden you have a surefire backwards tattoo on your, you know, your <laughs> half. Right. Um, so that was a problem. And so how they can solve that the, the, the third competitions and all that sort of thing, but they wanted a near term solution right now for the SOCOM RC2. Okay. So we're, we're going to go down that road, but we also took a look at it from the perspective of, you know, I'm, I've, I've melted a gun case before, right? You know, it's, uh, so, or I want to put the thing in the, in the truck and it's too dang hot and I'm, you know, I've got a rubber floor mat that now is, uh, stuck to my suppressor, all that sort of thing. So those are real problems that are broad spectrum. So we look, when we look at something like that, we look at the military application, but we also look at the, the, uh, the, the rest of the world side of it. We also look at it from, um, try to look at, what is a okay if there's a perfect military usage application but what is the civilian usage aspect of it so if we had only addressed military solutions we would have never made the hunter line right right because you're moving towards a chassis program or, or whatever makes sense there which is you know the, the 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 pro side of things but the reality is that's uh for a, a a relatively lightweight extremely accurate and low cost solution um that gives you everything that a much more expensive stock does that's something that i'm not a hunter to the nth degree, um, my wife thinks I have a problem, but it's, it's in any case, I'm a, an avid hunter, and so are many of the folks in, in, the, in the company. And so that that is a solution that not really a military application, but we learned a lot from there also that was parlayed into the pro program. So it's uh, you know it's a it fits both ways. Uh, same thing with um, you know the the drum magazine. We looked that was originally uh, looking at. If you want to say military application for the IAR, there was a requirement for a greater than 30 round uh, magazine solution for the IAR. But on the other side of me is I'm a three gun guy, right? To, to, uh, not as much as I should be at this point, but I still get out there a couple times a year. And man, I certainly would like to have 60 rounds on tap. It doesn't stick really far out from the gun. It makes a pretty good shooting platform when I do the long range stage, all that stuff. So we look at things holistically. Uh, within and without the firearm space to, to make sure that we're looking at it from a variety of usage scenarios because we want it to appeal to a broad audience. Uh, we don't want to pigeonhole things. And it's the, the worst thing we can do in product development is say, well, this is the way you'd use it because that's, that's the way we do it. And it's, and you get into that mindset. The bipod's a great example of that. Well, who wants swivel on the bipods? Like there's no, you know, I, I, I just want tilt. I don't want swivel. Well, there's people who do, do want that. And they want to be able to pan as well as to, to tilt. And so if you, you eliminate uh, a, a certain customer or a certain segment that, that actually likes to be able to pan or traverse. Uh, so we, you know, this, you can't get into that mindset of this is, this is how we do things. You have to look at it from a broad spectrum of, uh, of what problem, or what uh, what application does each individual segment of consumer have, and to make sure that you're applying as broad a solution as you can without compromising performance uh, in, in any one of those categories. So that's kind of how it works. Well, your Magpul, I think it would be fair to say, can be characterized as you know the 800 pound gorilla in its segment. I mean, you guys seem to have dominated the places where you've you've put products out you know in in terms of you know magazines you know that's just kind of my default i i don't go to any others and and i wonder do you think that that makes it or have you reached a size where you think it might be hard to continue to improve and advance i mean you're already on a gen 3 you know, some might wonder, you know, have you reached the penultimate, you know, level of magazine refinement? 
uh, is there a sense of resting on your laurels or do you as a company with your culture strive to make sure that doesn't happen? Uh, absolutely. We, uh, we are very much not about, uh, being satisfied with anything. Uh, and you can even look at some of the small changes that we made to the Gen M3 post release and, and improving it to the point where it is right now. So in a traditional format with the function and features that we have, uh, in a Gen M3, Gen M3 product, um, with or without the window, have we reached a level of reliability that is extremely, extremely difficult to exceed? Yes, that is that is certainly there. But there are other problems and other things and other issues that we are constantly working on and some other functionalities that are kind of neat that uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk about uh, before too long. Maybe not that one, not maybe not publicly before 2020, but the uh, there's some some really cool stuff that we're always working on. And there's other platforms as well. And every time we do another platform, we learn something about magazine uh, geometry that uh, just is different about each platform, but it's, you just keep adding to that Rolodex of, of, uh, of the dynamics between, you know, it's, I can, I just gave a brief to NATO uh, a few, well, a couple months back actually about what are, you know, magazine performance requirements and talking about it. There were some, some eyes glazing over when I talk about stack rise time and support and, uh, you know, settling on the lips and, and, and all kind of stuff as well as feed angles and support geometry blow and neck, support anyway it gets it gets crazy but all these things go into that and you learn something else every time you do a different platform so there's always opportunities and we're always looking for opportunities to make things better uh or to add other features functionality uh or uh um uh, just improve the value proposition in general so is magpul at this point um privately owned uh, yeah, we're absolutely still privately owned. So there's, uh, we, uh, back in, uh, 2011, there, we brought an equity partner on just because it's, it is so difficult to manage the, uh, the growth of the, of a company that's going, growing so fast. But, uh, honestly, they've been a fantastic partner. And, uh, you know, the, the amount of influence is almost non-existent as mm-hmm. far as what we're doing on a daily basis or, or how we manage the business. And it's, uh, I give a lot of credit to uh you know doug and just the way he has uh he has uh, built the business processes and things like that over the years um to uh to what it is right now and everybody in the organization because honestly it's uh it's they're they're really hands off and so it's been great so it's not not publicly traded by any stretch of the imagination i don't know it will ever be there uh, because i just i just I think that's um it's relatively uh hazardous in today's uh pr landscape right to be a traded company in this space <clears throat> but uh so i think we'll always be privately held but uh yeah we have an equity, equity partner but like i said they're uh, extremely extremely hands-off so going forward is, is there a point where magpul gets too big where magpul um begins to have the 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 pains that you might see in one of the i don't know historical manufacturers in america like you know i mean I, you get to a point, I think, where the institutional nature of the company uh, is so ingrained in people that they lose sight of the thing that made them the institution. And it, you, know, you talk about Magpul in terms of you're striving always to improve and make more reliable and, and you know, all of these things that we've discussed this, this whole time. But when is Magpul too big for that to always be the thing that is driven into the people that are your culture, and that's that is uh, that's an excellent question, and that is a challenge. Uh, no bones about it. 
there's a certain point where you want to accomplish so many more things that you, you have to expand. And by nature, you lose some of the intimacy and some of the contact with the core of what, what drives the company. So one of the things that we, we've tried to do is to imbue that as much as possible as we expand. And it's some of the things that uh, we're, we're currently in some, some efforts internally uh, to make sure that everybody that comes on to the company has a better understanding of what Magpul is, where it came from. This 20th anniversary is a great inflection point to stay in. And, and, okay, what, let's, let's re-go, let's go through these foundational principles. Let's go through the, you know, what is Magpul design language? What is the aesthetic? What is the brand? Uh, to make sure that we're conveying it to the people that come on now as effectively as it was to, with the people that came on six, seven, ten years ago right. when it was, you know, you know drinking, drinking beer in the back room and trying to, you know, sketch out something on some napkins, that kind of deal. So what, uh, we, we don't want to lose that. And that's, we, we understand that, uh, especially when you consider that Magpul is not really defined by the product, right? It's the, it's the approach that the way we consider it is that, that's the, that striving for solutions are always finding a better, uh, answer. Um, it's not that we define by, by wood or metal or, or by polymer or, uh, by processes. It's, it's the, the solution finding and that, that drive to find something better. And we need to make sure we're very careful that we're hiring the right people to keep that alive. And we need to keep the company culture in there uh, uh, as, as strong as it's been for those of us who have been around for a little longer. So yes, it is a challenge, but we have absolutely taken that as a, as a challenge that we need to not lose sight of that. It's difficult. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's wow. Is it hard to scale and still maintain that, that intimacy and that identity. But, um, uh, it's it's something that we, we we work very hard at. So this is something that just occurred to me. You know, I've I've never heard any real negative about Magpul. I mean, you know, people call you a fanboy, and they may like their thing, but I, I haven't heard anybody come in and talk badly about the product or the material or you know its function. Is there a time that that Magpul has fallen on its face and and had to learn a lesson that you carry with you today? Mm, there's, there's, I mean, there's constant, we're constantly learning. So if you're not learning, then you're doing something, you're not taking any risks. Right. right? Uh, so there's, there's a lot of things like the, the original uh, uh, PMAG 17 GL nine, when we released it, man, we missed some, uh, a test segment that we, when we had a drawing revision that got missed and the, the magazine shipped and, Oh, wow. We totally missed that, that, that retesting that segment somehow. Uh, and there was a Glock 19, uh, issue with certain hull point ammunition or, or, or ramp strike stuff. And it's like, oh, wow. Because we had a drawing revision that didn't get carried over. Okay. So that's a lesson. That's a hard lesson. And it's, uh, uh, uh do we learn things like that all the time that aren't as visible? Uh, of course. And we learned things during the, we've had one during the testing process right now, but that's one of the reasons why we, test as thoroughly as we do uh, is because we know that somebody is going to be super happy to make a YouTube video about something. Right. (laughs) So, so we try to find all those situations uh, and complications prior to, to release uh, very hard. We spend a lot of time. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. It's uh, it's impossible to have a 100% perfect record, but man, if you saw the lengths that we go to, to try to be perfect, um, it's pretty significant. But yeah, lessons, lessons are always learned. Um, and, but the problem, the, the thing is, if we're, if we grab onto those things and we don't repeat them, uh, then we're in good shape. 
but uh, we certainly don't want to uh, be repeating mistakes uh, that were, and we certainly don't want anything to go out. We don't want our customers to have to be beta testers, right? Right. Um, we want to figure that stuff out before we put it in the customer's hands. We want their uh, experience to be good, but we always also have that uh, you're going to be happy with our product. And if you're not, let us know and we'll make it right. So there's always that. So, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say that I, I keep up with uh, the military procurement side of things, but, you know, I see the headlines in various different uh, resources we use. And so the military is comfortable now with the use of Magpul magazines, you know, when they're deploying units into, you know, the, the field, right? Absolutely. So we are the only authorized magazine for combat use in the United States Marine Corps. Uh, they did a pure fleet buy uh, for the entire Marine Corps. Um, and that was after the results of uh, some significant testing. The Army did additional testing even after that. Uh, they are the program manager for the, the EPM magazine, so they're very hesitant to, to to kind of let something else in on that. So that was the last test was like quarter of a million rounds, um, which that I cited the the kind of reliability numbers there. And they originally came out with some caveats on on this or that or the other thing. But the, the bottom line is they're buying significant numbers into the Army. You now can buy either magazine with the same dollars. Uh, they're both uh, approved solutions. Uh, SOCOM uh, has always been, a, since the introduction of the M3, they've been a big user of the Gen M3. Uh, the Coast Guard is pure fleeted. The Air Force, all magazines procured by the Air Force will be uh, Gen M3 from uh, like two years ago on. Uh, so we pretty much uh, we're, we're in good shape in, from the the acquisition side there, and we've got a lot of NATO countries switching as well um, as part of that too. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say the world's getting any safer or that we're unlikely to be in any more theaters, but you know, I would say that I don't think that we're deployed in the same numbers or as widely as we have been, you know, the last twenty years. Um, is that something that you guys look at when you're considering the health of Magpul or is it really not a big issue? I mean, certainly it's one of those things that you'd never, um, I'm I'm happier with a more peaceful world, uh, just like anybody else. But, uh, so yeah, we take a look at the acquisitions and, and, and timelines and cycles and what we're going to look like. But, you know, the, the military segment, the commercial segment, uh, we, we try to maintain an extremely healthy balance there that uh, is not subject to the uh, ups and downs of that procurement cycle or, or not as susceptible or, or vulnerable to those as like a sole mean, means of, uh, of, of, of life. We don't ever want to be a purely military contracts company, as I talked about earlier. It's, that's not what we're about identity-wise and certainly not a safe business proposition for somebody in this space right. uh, with exceptions. So in terms of that whole idea, I mean, would it be safe to say that, I mean – the military is going to buy your magazines, but when you draw down numbers in foreign conflicts, you probably don't need as many. You're not losing them in the field or, you know, having the turnover as much. So does that kind of reflect on manufacturing, the number of people you have, the number of partners you're dealing with? Are you like really scalable in that regard or do you find yourself not so scalable? Uh, we're extremely agile and, uh, generally quite scalable in uh, a lot of those, uh, areas. So it's, it's one of those things where we're healthy and, and our scalability is what helps us to, to be healthy. Uh, lean times or strong times. We weathered that the dips and troughs, uh, uh, better I'd say than, than most because of our scalability and because of our business structure and the way we do things. Honestly, we're, uh, we're a lean organization, which means 
we all wear a lot of hats. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there, there's not a lot of folks, uh, uh, cruising, uh, within, uh, the, the facilities here. Everybody works very, very hard. Uh, the Cheyenne facility has been fantastic from a production standpoint, just the, the, I mean, you got people assembling thousands of magazines a day in that facility, which is, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy to think you're doing that same thing over 2000 times in one day, but uh, they're knocking stuff like that out. Uh, so we're an extremely efficient, extremely lean organization. Uh, and we're designed to, we always have that survival mindset. It's always something that we do have. We don't try to get, Oh wow. You know, we just got some, some military stuff here and we got a big commercial order or whatever we've got going on. So let's just, you know, kind of sit back and, and relax and, and both during during hyperactive times or when there's a lot of activity or when things are leaner we also we always are throwing money time and effort into what's next because that's what we're, that's what we're here for it's what we come to work for on a daily basis is, is solving those problems tackling those challenges and so what's next is, is is extremely important to us so would you say that that the people you work with the team that is magpul is is a pretty close team that you guys are tight-knit in, in absolutely many cases, it's the, the the multiple facilities is always interested. So we try to cross break those barriers down as much as possible. Right. But uh, we're extremely tight, I think, in, in many areas. And we're kind of a there's a big there's a very much a family kind of feel, uh, especially in the areas that work together a lot. Uh, um, but uh, it's 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 good. And even, you even feel that in a, in a production facility and things like that. But we, we want that to happen. We, we certainly don't want there to be. Uh, because that's the way the company started, right? So it's a very intimate kind of feel, and it's a very much a, a team organization. And, and and without the everybody in that team doing what they do, we wouldn't be where we are today. And we we don't lose sight of that for sure. So the culture and things like that. And that's that's why you'll see when we do the you know when we do the 20th anniversary celebration, we're doing it for employees because of right. you know that team, that family of us, that 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 intimate setting. Those are the people that have. Uh, have helped us to do, to achieve what we need to do. And don't get me wrong. The customer is always the, you know, the most important part of that equation, right. Who we're trying to serve constantly, but uh, the, uh, the team uh, or family unit or however you want to call it of what is internal to Magpul. Um, that dynamic is what allows us to, to, to do things that the customer wants. Right. So. Well, so, you know, obviously when Colorado, um, had some legislative changes. Mm. Magpul found itself in a position where it wanted to move on to, you know, re, re, I guess, rebuild facilities in other states. Yep. Was that process kind of hard? Because I can't imagine you were able to maintain all of the relationships with the employees because, I mean, yeah. I would imagine that some people couldn't or wouldn't be able to pick up and move to Texas or, you know, was it, is it Montana? Uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming. Cheyenne, Wyoming. So, I mean, was that kind of a a bitter pill to swallow when you had to lose people that you might've been working with for a while? And how did you guys kind of wrestle with that? So that, that was, that was a tough one. I mean, that whole period was kind of crazy because I mean, when you look at it, uh, moving up to, I mean, we were looking at plans for a build the suit facility that was going to go right down the road in Colorado for, you know, brand new, Magpul Central, uh, and it was in the closing uh, weeks and months of uh, uh, of 2012. And I remember the day, uh, you know, the the uh, NRA uh, legislative arm ILA guy comes knocking on the door, cold call, uh, and comes in and says, "Hey, just so you know, they are in, they're about to drop 
this magazine legislation. And we're like, we were, I mean, we were less than a week away from signing the papers for this build to suit facility. Um, and it's like, Oh my gosh, this is the most ridiculous. Okay. Well, we're in, we're going to, we're going to fight it. So a lot of time at the Capitol, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of sleepless nights there because, you know, we didn't want that thing to pass. I mean, that's the bottom line. We'd rather have stayed in Colorado by any stretch of the imagination and had Colorado maintain their magazine freedom and no, you know, the, the background check craziness that they have constantly have issues with. But uh, no, that was the, the end state was that we wanted to beat it. And as we started, we got very active in that lobbying side of things. Uh, and I went to the Capitol and spent more time talking to uh, legislators than I even care to admit. But the, uh, we spent a lot of time on that and a lot of effort. And the bottom line that we were seeing very, very early in the process is the Democrats were so unified that they did not, did not care. You couldn't argue them or, or, or convince them based on a Second Amendment article or, or, or argument. You couldn't uh, argue with them on a public safety uh, uh, basis. They, they didn't care about any of those arguments. They weren't convinced by any of those arguments because they had the party line. And they were all they cared about was and they were assured that their reelection would be good to go and that they were safe. Right. And that's the unfortunate part of politics is the most most politicians only care about their ability to be reelected. Um, and so we were running into that. And so the economic argument was the was the thing that we saw that had the most potential. And that's the strategy we came up with. It's like, look, you're going to put us out of business if we uh, if we do this, because the law is written. We won't be able to make magazines in here or many of our products. And, you know, so we, we've if you're driving us out of state and you're losing this many jobs. So then they say, well, well, we'll go ahead and we'll make an exemption so you can stay in the state. I'm like, well, that doesn't work either because that's the most hypocritical thing on the planet. I don't want to sit here where, you know, my, my, the people that assemble these things can't own them and that we're not going to support a state with our tax dollars when, when, when we can't, you know, when the citizens of that state can't buy it. And so we're, we're, we're still going to leave anyway because we, we couldn't do that to ourselves. I mean, our identity would, would be damaged and, and, both personally as well as professionally. I mean, just that that's the, the, the founder of the company was like physically ill with the idea of, of sticking around when they had, the state had done that to, to the citizens. So we, uh, we made that economic argument and that was that we would move um, and we would continue to say that we would have to move. Um, and that's where we went and we came very, very close to defeating that bill. We were down to one vote uh, in the Senate, which uh, got turned by a phone call from uh, then vice president Biden. Uh, on the eve of the vote, <clears throat> or we, uh, we, I mean, really close, we, we came to killing that thing. But uh, so then we did the, the, the airlift and the whole thing. And then the other side of that is our customers. Yay, Magpul says they're going to move, but then they don't realize how much it takes to move that much right. stuff. So it is not an easy thing. And we said from the start that we we're going to maintain a smaller facility in Colorado, one for legislative involvement and two for legal involvement. So we still have a, a, a significantly smaller footprint in Colorado, but uh, I mean the, the footprint and we've got a massive, massive facility in, in, in Cheyenne that does all our manufacturing and distribution now, which is phenomenal. And if you haven't had the opportunity to stop by and uh, we'll have to set something up because that place is like, that is Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Uh, it's pretty impressive. The scale of things that go on there. And then the headquarters down here in Texas, you know, same, same kind of thing. It's just, made sense to split it that way based on the functional areas and town pools and, and, and various factors. Right. So in any case, that's, that's where we ended up doing uh, the moves, but it took a little bit longer. Some people were getting impatient with us, which is unfortunate because man, it's, it's not easy. To, it's not like you just call up, you know, rider and uh, tell them to send over four trucks to, to move. <laughs> yeah. So, 
uh, it did end up working out. And although we didn't get our, uh, our fancy new build a suit facility that we were looking at down the road, we got a fantastic facility up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and we have a nice headquarters down here. And both states have been exceptionally accommodating. And most importantly, or more importantly, the people of those states have been extremely accommodating and welcoming. So did you have any hits to the, the, the people that were the heart of your company? I mean, you, you were able to maintain a smaller footprint in Colorado. So did you have much loss because of the fact you had to move? Um, and, and some of that was, it's just, you know, there's key people that have various reasons that for family reasons that they couldn't move that sort of thing. So there's, there's still, those are the, the type of folks that you know, still come to that facility on a, on a daily basis. Um, but, uh, and there were, there were some indeed that, you know, their functional area was moving and there's nothing we could do about it just because of adjacencies. Uh, and we relocated those people where it made sense. And if they couldn't do that, there's, you know, maybe one or two cases, I think where a functional area change was there because we didn't want to abandon some people who had helped the company grow. Uh, in other ways, and, you know, some people was like, ah, you know, this South is better than North or, or whatever. And, uh, that was you know, certainly a, a, some, some reflection and some, uh, I guess, soul searching as to what uh, the, the the ethics of the company were as to how you, you handle these people who had helped you get to where you were. And I, and I think we, we did that. We navigated that very, very well. And um, I, I can say, I, I think confidently that there, there may have been a few folks that opted to, you know, that that wasn't what they're, they're, they wanted to do necessarily, but for the most part, anybody that wanted to continue uh, the opportunity is, was certainly there. And in most cases taken because it is a great place to work. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. So, so today, I mean, would you say that there's any lasting impact from that or are you guys back hitting on all eight cylinders? Uh, we're certainly hitting an all eight, if not 10, but, uh, it's still, there's, uh, would I, would it be better if we were all in one facility still? Uh, absolutely. Organizational communication across, uh, you know, 1500, 1600 miles here, uh, is, is, is always more complicated than walking down the, uh, down the hall and, and, and grabbing a prototype off somebody's desk and starting to talk, but there's a little bit of travel involved. Uh, there's some bouncing around, uh, from various places. There's a lot of go to meeting. There's a lot of stuff like this. Uh, where we sit and chat, but uh, uh, it, we're navigating it pretty well, and, and the company certainly is uh, is strong now. Like I said previously, the the locations, just the the lack of stress uh, regarding the locations that uh, you know for manufacturing as well as for headquarters, it's uh, it's phenomenal. So it's uh, it's great. So good environments all the way around. Very welcoming people. Even even Austin, where it's uh, you know it's uh, <laughs> keep it weird. Keep yeah, keep Austin weird. We're, we're on the we're on the outskirts of keeping it weird, right? So, <laughs> always a little weird in Magpul too, but uh, I guess always has been from the beginning days. But uh, we uh, we stay on the west side of Austin. So, <laughs> so let's talk about what you guys are doing now. Is there anything right now that you can talk about? I know that shot shows around the corner, and you know it's always hard this time of the year to talk to you know our guests because you know they like to have that you know that mic drop moment when they can bring out something that everybody wants to see. But what are you guys excited about that you can talk to me about today that, that really has you guys, you know, raring to go? What's exciting Magpul right now? Oh boy. So much. Like I said, there's, there's at least a dozen products that we're about to drop here and we do the, we'll be doing another five days of shot kind of thing that we do where it's the, the whole week prior to shot show where we do release videos and announcements and product stuff like that. That'll, uh, it'll be busy and we'll have to do multiple releases on each day. Um, well, not, not every day, but excuse me, some days we'll have multiple releases just to fit everything in. Uh, so we're excited about that. There is one thing that, uh, and we're, we're 
supporting two different platforms that we have not supported before uh, that I, I will say that much. Those will be announced here in a, in a couple of weeks, but uh, we are, uh, there's two new platforms that we have not previously supported that we will be supporting. Uh, excited about both of those. One of them very deeply ingrained in my, my, my heart of hearts. The, uh, the other side of things, there's some logical line expansions that uh, some things that won't be surprising, some things that are extremely exciting uh, in that realm uh, that, uh, that I like a lot. Uh, some things that are departures, the eyewear line, uh, you'll see some expansion in the eyewear line. That's been extremely successful for us, and, and we're going to continue with uh, some new models in that. But uh, one of the things that I, I will say is coming is, uh, oh, boy. Several years ago, we announced the PMAG 27 GL9, the 27-round Glock magazine, uh-huh. and she's finally going to ship. So, oh, <laughs> we'll be, outstanding. We'll be shipping that uh, in a couple weeks here. So that'll be, be before the shot announcements. We'll do some cleanup on that. So we'll be shipping that guy. Well, that's great. Well, you know, we've got some listener feedback that I want to run past you. But before we switch to that... Is there anything that you want to tell the listeners about when it comes to Magpul or what you guys have on the, on the, I guess, in the queue right now? Mm, uh, I guess uh, the, I want you, the, the contact and the feedback that we have on Facebook and things like that and through customer service, I want to, uh, to assure people that that is something that always drives us and forums and interaction that we have there. So we are listening. We do pay attention to some of that stuff. Uh, we, we pay attention to all of it and what we can act on is, is varied. So there's certain things that we just can't do to the, the business case uh, of it. And sometimes we stretch the business case so that we can do things that we want to do. It, uh, it becomes more difficult, but um, uh, we do listen to that and we do uh, value that customer relationship a great deal. So it's um, that's uh, that we always view the formation of our value propositions and our, our uh, how we frame solutions from the, the, the position of our, of our customers across various groups. And so we, we encourage you, you know, keep reaching out, uh, keep staying involved with the brand. We love that customer contact and uh, it's something that, uh, that makes us who we are. So. Well, outstanding. So uh, Dwayne, what do you think about answering some of our listener questions? You, sure. You good to go? Fired up. All right. So Chad writes and he says, uh, are they making a stock for the Ruger PCC? So this one's probably going to start to sound like a broken record on a bunch of these questions um, in that, uh, uh, you know, the standard, uh, we don't speak about products that may or may not be under development because of the appropriate time. But uh, I will say that there's a lot of stuff out there um, that could be potentially seen as a logical line extension of things that we've already done that uh, are probably things that we're, we are looking at, you know, where, where it looks like it makes sense to do something. Uh, not saying 100% that we're doing or not doing, but there's a lot of things that we've, we're playing with that 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 area that we've we've kind of dabbled in previously that, that will make sense. Let's see. Mike wrote in and he said uh, he wanted to thank you for all the support you give to the shooting sports. He says, I swear to God, every three-gun match I go to, there are Magpul products and the swag bag or the prize table. No, absolutely. That's uh, I, The shooting sports is something that's near and dear to me. I mean, I got... I started shooting USPSA. I was a sponsored shooter and I uh, was working as a gunsmith at my local shooting range and, and sponsored USPSA shooter when I was 17. Um, and so the, the competitive shooting sports has always been something that has been near and dear to my heart as well as to everybody in the, in the building, just because it's, it's the, the, that embodiment of people 
you know, going out and, and trying to make themselves better in the application of firearms as, as, from the civilian sector as well. So I mean, there's military and law enforcement doing the same thing as well. But it's a great environment to get out there and, and you know, put yourself on the clock. It's the second best stressor than uh, next to somebody putting rounds uh, over your head. Right. right. So uh, uh, that's it's, and certainly the, the more safe option. But, uh, no, the competition is great. We love to support as many as we can. We'll probably be uh, supporting some, P- some more PRS and some things like that, and uh, especially, you know, gas and bulk gun stuff uh, very much in our wheelhouse now. So uh, we'll be supporting some more of that. Uh, we like to support those as much as we can, and we do like to support, you know, in, in ways that he's talking about. You know, I, I, you go and you spend, you know, $300 or $330 for a match fee and you gas to get there and ammo to shoot the thing like everybody to get something right so you put a, a mag or two in the, in the mag bag you put some stuff and you put a lot of stuff on the prize table that uh you know not everybody's going to be walking away with that gun off the you know top five uh table but we like to make sure that everybody that's there that isn't a sponsored shooter already is, is getting something to take home that uh that shows that we appreciate that they're out there doing what they're doing oh, that's awesome well there are a number of uh items that that touch on uh future products so let me let me just kind of name these in general it typically starts when are they going to um and uh we've got make the 762 by 39 ar mag so i'll say that that one's problematic in that the case taper of the 762 by 39 round is uh at an extreme level so it's difficult to maintain an acceptable one round stack uh as far as lateral and tangential pressures at the rear of that cartridge as well as proper stack support for the shoulder of the round as it translates through a straight magazine well section going up into the presentation position. So uh, with in light of all those things, it's uh, we'd rather you have made an AR lower that worked with uh, AK mag. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the next one is uh, M&P mags in the future and also would love some 223 AK mags. But that there's enough market. Yeah, that's there's multiple different uh, formats for 223 AK mags. Some, of course, more more prevalent than others. I'm an AK. I like AKs. I have an AK. A uh, little bit of a fetish in that uh, regard. It's uh, it's one of my categories that uh, everybody makes fun of me for. Uh, it's uh, you know the I I'm, I just like AKs. It's a it's a neat. It's a robust design. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's, it's far more eloquent than people, uh, or, or far more effective than people give it credit for. Um, uh, same, there's, there's arguments there. The AR is, you know, far more durable and reliable than people give it credit for. And the AK is far more accurate and, 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 and precise in many cases, uh, when well-made, uh, than people give it credit for, <clears throat> but not, that's neither here nor there. Uh, 223 AK mags. It is, it is, a, it's a, it's a small segment, especially with where the AK market is right now with the importation problems and, uh, domestic sourcing. There's been a weird inversion where you can buy a quality AR for significantly less than a quality AK now. So it's like we're in a bizarro world as far as the AK stuff. But, uh, would it, would I love to see some 223 AK mags? I would, but it's, uh, it's difficult to, to justify that because mag programs are expensive because we test so much. A half a million rounds to range to test a, a typical magazine program. So that's, uh, that's a lot. Uh, P mags. Uh, challenges there with different uh, sizes between the uh, frame rails and what we need for polymer wall stock in order to do a pistol magazine Glock was ideal for that kind of situation. Um, USP mag, HK has some room for that, but, uh, M&P, uh, 1911, things like that. There's, uh, it's just not as, as much room there and we don't want to make a product that's kind of on the borderline of quality for, for that kind of application. So it's un- unlikely that you'll see M&P mags, but you never know. We're always looking at material solutions that we can uh, kind of do some things with. So. 
All right. What about the uh, let's see? Brad writes, "Who is with the two two four Valkyrie gaining in popularity? Do you plan on making a six eight based mag for standard magwell?" And I guess at this point we've got some interest in the military with the six eight. So uh, what about um, six eight based mags? Yeah. So the six eight uh, that's currently uh, NGSAR uh, and that uh, that program on the military side is not the six eight SPC. Um, so it, uh, the, the two don't cross over. It is a significantly, it's a high pressure cartridge. Uh, we're talking two, uh, 270, uh, wisdom velocities basically is what the target uh, performance is. So it is a, a significantly different cartridge than what 6.8 SBC is capable of. Now, when you get back to 6.8 SBC, we did the original, uh, that 6.8, uh, platform, uh, profile four, uh, in conjunction with Lightner, uh, LWRCI, uh, because of the, problems with feeding 6.8 and a conventional AR magwell. Your, your round stack is never going to be perfect. You just don't have the, quite the right amount of room, especially with polymer wall construction, but in, even in a, in, a, in a metal magazine, you just don't have as much room to get that round stack as ideal as we want. And that's, that brings on tangential pressures and dust performance and some issues there, which is why we made the, the larger magazine, because now we can stack it the way it's supposed to be stacked in a, in, to get proper performance. So that's why we never made uh, a 6.8 magazine for a conventional AR magazine well. And although the applications of the 224 Valkyrie, um, uh, not necessarily looking at, you know, somebody may not be as concerned at, you know, 18,000 mean rounds between magazine related stoppages or, you know, our internal standard for magazine for performance. The, uh, if uh, the, maybe they're not as concerned about that in the, in the typical more precise role of the, the Valkyrie application, but we just hate to make something that's, that's compromised from the get go in, in design. But uh, so right now there's, I will say on that one, there's nothing that's not on the, uh, the drawing board right now. But uh, once again, we're always looking for ways to, to, to tackle it problems right so the last one in this vein um chris is saying that uh, he's got nine uh, millimeter glock mags on the way for his new frontier armory c9 uh but he wants to know is there a big enough market to make anything for the c5 which is essentially the one that uses the uh h and k magazines yep uh so there's ah man there's a lot of different magazines we have uh so there's a different uh platform supported by uh, magazines that we'll be making a magazine for uh, that you'll hear about in a couple of weeks. Uh, and, uh, actually this is probably by the time this airs, you may potentially, uh, have it, uh, maybe out there, but we'll see what, what date is this airing? Uh, it's going to be airing the seventh. Okay. No, it'll, you'll still have a couple of days before, uh, before we, we, you, you see that. But so anyway, that's coming out. We're looking at a lot of things. We hate to be, uh, we hate for there to be a platform out there that we don't make a magazine for, especially one that we use. Um, there's uh but there's a lot of, uh, there's some challenges and some of the things, some some magazine wells just it's really hard with what they've left you as far as uh, wall stock. Some things are entirely possible. Some things we just we don't want to compromise, but we we you know we, we can find solutions to that. And we've got some solutions that work in a lot of the things that people have asked for. Uh, and once again, then it just comes down to business case because man, I could we could make a magazine and we could get a magazine out there for a lot of platforms for a lot less money than it takes us in our current design process. But 
we, we can't risk it uh, in that. And we hate to do something that's not been as thoroughly. So we put as much time and effort into a magazine for a less popular platform. Um, as I mean, the odd magazine is a perfect example. Yeah, there's some military applications with the Australians that we were looking at with that. But uh, still, as far as domestic market, the market there is small for the odd magazine. But we put the same amount of time and effort into testing that thing as we would anything else. Right. Um, and it's it gets to be expensive. The mold packages are extremely expensive. So it has to make some financial sense on the backside. So that's that's the, the, the stickler there of uh, where we go in magazines. But I would say there's a lot of stuff we're playing with right now. All right. Well, that's exciting. I think that's a, that's all of our listener questions. So, uh, uh, you know, I want to give you an opportunity to tell the people uh, anything you want. And, you know, of course, your Magpul. You don't need to tell anybody where to find you because you're everywhere. <laughs> Well, we, we, we try to be anyway, but uh, we absolutely uh, appreciate the opportunity to come on here and maybe uh, you know, tell our story to some folks that, that didn't know it as well or uh, weren't as familiar with it. So absolutely uh, glad and humbled to have the opportunity to be here. So we appreciate that a great deal. Um, always happy to talk to folks and, 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 and spread the word about what Magpul is and what we do and, and how we do it because we feel very strongly about it. I feel extremely strongly about it. It's something that, uh, I, like I said, I can't imagine working anywhere else. But uh, now this uh, coming up uh, shot show going to be some exciting stuff there. Uh, we look forward to everybody's reaction to seeing uh, what we've got in store and, and some of the things that are coming up uh, and that customer relationship. Always uh, keep that open. Uh, understand that anything uh, that we do, uh, we welcome the feedback. I mean, I always agree with, uh, with <laughs> you know, but uh, so don't expect that. Uh, uh, and uh, I'll even be on there myself uh, answering some Facebook posts from time to time. But uh, uh, the, uh, we, we want to hear that feedback and we do appreciate it because the, the customer centric focus on solving problems is really, really what we're all about. Uh, other than that, tell your friends all about us if they don't know about us and take somebody shooting. Um, you know, we're in a time period where uh, our ability to continue enjoying the things that we do and the God given rights that, that, that we were imbued with uh, is contingent in many ways upon making sure that the next generation and even the current generation understands the value of firearms ownership within the United States, particularly the type of firearms that you guys are focusing on, uh, on this podcast. I mean, that is, and, and we're in a point where we're losing a multi-generational IO war where, Oh, that's, you know, the icky AR 15 stuff, you know, and that's the most ridiculous thing uh, to me is that we're, we're, we've allowed that to slip away with, you know, educational institutions and the increasing urbanization and, 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 and things like that, where, you know, if, if the more people that are exposed to things that the, the the side of the firearms industry and the firearms applications that we know and love as firearms owners, uh, the better off we are going to be when we when it comes to time to vote on some of these things, because the value there is is is, is crazy. The you know an armed society is a polite society, and that is one hundred percent accurate. Um, the uh, uh, we we need and if we want to 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 continue to convey that message. We need to expose more people to it. So uh, take somebody shooting. Um, have those discussions. Don't need to be antagonistic. Have name calling with people that don't agree. But the people that are on the fence, that's where we that's where we grab some folks and really show them what this is all about uh, and bring folks over to our side of the argument so that, uh, that, that more people understand the value of the Second Amendment and uh, that God-given right. Outstanding. Dwayne, thank you for coming on board. Thank you for representing Magpul and... Uh, this is exciting for us, so we're really happy to, to get this show out to the people. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I'm going to go ahead and read us out. 
So um, send us any questions or comments at ar15.podcast at gmail.com or go to the website, www.ar-15podcast.com. Uh, we ask you to subscribe and listen to the AR15 podcast for free on iTunes or on Stitcher and to leave us a review so the show can place higher in the searches for potential listeners. Finally, uh, get on uh, social media. JD always teases me about my lack of uh, familiarity with some of these, but uh, share your pics with us on Instagram at, at AR15 podcast and tag your pictures with hashtag AR15 podcast and follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash AR15 podcast. And I think that'll be our show today. You guys have a good week. Bye.